How do you feel about writing thank you cards? Do you enjoy writing those? Might be kind of an unwritten rule that if someone receives a gift, they should acknowledge receiving that gift. And the accepted method of acknowledgement is usually a written note or a card of thanks. You see, actually, a few of those in your bulletin today. And that seems to be the proper and right thing to do. Well, I have a confession to make. For me, one of the many perks of getting married is that I married someone who is very faithful and good at writing thank you cards. It's not that I don't ever write them, or it's not that I'm ungrateful. I just don't look forward to writing those cards, or at least to write them with as much thoughtfulness as Marlene does. She's good at writing something flowery and something meaningful. My preference is to buy a card that already has a pre-written thank you written on the front and just sign my name to it. You see, I write thank you cards more out of a sense of duty than out of a sense of delight. I know, I'm a terrible person. And you'll know that next time you get a thank you card from me. I did this grudgingly, right? Don't think that. Well, thankfully, the Apostle Paul is not like me. He writes out of a deep sense of gratitude, a deep sense of delight, a deep sense of joy. He is profoundly grateful for the people that make up the Philippian church. His note of thanks right at the outset of this letter is very flowery, but also very meaningful. He gushes with thanksgiving. The big difference, though, between our thank you cards and Paul's expression of thanksgiving is that Paul writes this thank you note, if we want to put it that way, in the form of a prayer. He, he writes to the Philippians to say that he's thankful to God for them. Let's listen to the first words of this letter after the initial greeting there in, chapter, in verses 1 and 2. And you'll find them in Philippians 1, verses 3 to 8. If you are using those Bibles that I referred to earlier, they're on page 9, Philippians 1 is on page 980. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I yearn for you, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. We'll just stop right there. In verses 9 and following, he's going to tell them what specifically he's requesting from God on their behalf. But in verses 3 to 8, Paul goes to great lengths to express 
in writing from a prison his deep gratitude for the Philippians. His deep gratitude for this church that he had planted ten or so years before this. These words are very instructive for us. One of the areas that we would like to keep excelling at here is that we grow in overwhelming thankfulness to God for this church, for the people of this church, for one another. How ought people who have come to be part of the church regard each other? We've all come to this church from different circumstances. We, we all have our story of how we came to get here. Some were born coming to this church. Others have come in a more roundabout way. But there's one circumstance that is common to all of us. It is the reason that we are part of the church. Maybe not this local church, but the church in general. And that one common experience is that we have all been saved by God through the Lord Jesus Christ. True Christians have all been regenerated by the Spirit of God such that they have turned away from their sins and are trusting in God's substituting, sacrificial death on the cross and His in his resurrection from the dead. They have therefore been justified by faith, adopted into God's family, and set apart from the world into the church where we serve one another as we await the second coming of Jesus to take the church then to heaven. That's our common experience if we are saved. And because of that, we ought to have the highest regard for each other. And that's exactly what Paul models for us in this letter, especially here at the beginning. And it makes him gush out in meaningful and flowery language, overflowing in thankfulness for the particular local gathering of Christians in the ancient city of Philippi. This helps us understand how we, fellow believers in Jesus at Wetaskiwin Mission Church, ought to think about each other, ought to feel about each other. Paul's thank you card, his prayer of thanks to God for the Philippians at the very outset of this letter models this kind of mind and heart that we ought to have for each other. We see here profound affection based on a common faith which will be, will be completed by a divine work. As Christians who are part of a church, the wider church by faith and this local church by providence, there are two questions that this passage drives us to think about. And if you've got a sermon outline, if you've got a bulletin with sermon notes in them, you have those questions there. If, in case you don't, here they are. Number one, is there room in your heart for other Christians in your church? Is there a room in your heart for other Christians in your church? And two, why can you be thankful for other Christians in your church? So let's start with that first one. Is there room in your heart? I worded the question that way because of the beginning of verse 7. Paul says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. 
Paul had been away from these Philippian believers, like I said, for some 10 years, but they never left his heart. I like that word, hold. I hold you in my heart. Just underneath the deck of a ship, there's a space for cargo that's sometimes called a hold. That's how Paul was describing these Philippians. They had a place in his heart. He, he made room. He made a space, a hold for them. And when it comes to that space in his heart, we might say that Paul had an, an enlarged heart. He had an enlarged heart. Medically speaking, an enlarged heart can be caused by some kind of a stress on the body, like a weakening of a heart muscle or some kind of a coronary issue, or even pregnancy, or abnormal heart rhythms, or those kinds of things. They, they can make one of the chambers of the heart dilate. That's why it's sometimes called an enlarged heart. We usually say that people suffer from an enlarged heart. But for Paul we should say that he was blessed with an enlarged heart. He had an enlarged heart for the people back in Philippi. He had a hold in his heart. He had room in his heart. I hold you, he says, in my heart. And you see Paul's heart for them in the thread running through this section just by the way he describes them here. Notice here five heartfelt Sentiments that describe the depth of his feelings for them. First, he's thankful. He's thankful to God. I thank my God. He's thankful that God, that God pointed him in their direction. We saw that last week in Acts 16 in the background, the, the start of the church of Philippi, where God very intentionally redirects, diverts Paul. He was going to another place and Paul gets providentially diverted to Philippi. And that served to forge these lifelong, heartfelt friendships. And so Paul is thankful to God. Notice the comprehensive and all-inclusive language that he uses here. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, for you all. Every time Paul prays, Every time he goes to prayer, every time God, or Paul thinks of all the ways that God has blessed him, the Philippians come into his mind. Ever do that? You go to prayer, you don't have a list or anything, but, but, but something, when you get to your time of thanksgiving, when you're praising God, the same thing always comes to your mind. For Paul, it was the Philippians. If Paul was at your table at Thanksgiving, and you went around the table and asked, as we sometimes traditionally do, what everyone is thankful for, one of the first things that would come to Paul's mind was all the believers in the church at Philippi. Lydia and her family. The jailer and his family. Maybe the fortune-telling slave girl that he took the evil spirit out of. I thank God always in every prayer for you all. Are you thankful to God for your fellow believers? This is very instructive, isn't it? Especially in the way that we pray. Do your 
prayers include words of thanksgiving for the people in the church that God has placed you into? Are you grateful that God in his providence has, has weaved and enmeshed you together with these people for this time in this place? Are you thankful that God has given you these people to help you in your spiritual growth and to help you survive as a Christian while you live in this world? You need these people in order to do that, in order to survive as a Christian in this world. Not only is Paul thankful always, whenever he thinks and prays for his fellow believers over in Philippi, he also gets joyful. It adds an element of joy to his prayers as he thinks about the church. End of verse 4, making my prayer with joy. Joy is going to be a huge theme here in Philippians. Joy and rejoicing, used some 14 times in this letter. It's almost like Paul mostly strives in his prayers like we all do. We all struggle in our prayers. We, we, we plead and we beg for various things as we come before God, things that are going on in our life. But when Paul's thoughts turn to the Philippians, his, his agonizing prayers become joy-filled prayers. The believers in Philippi brought him joy in his every remembrance of them. Listen, there are lots of things, there are especially lots of people that can steal our joy in this world. But when you think about your church, it should enhance your joy. Yes, not everyone in the church is going to be perfect. Yes, you won't always be happy with every brother or every sister in the church in every situation. But when you think about how God has put this church together, different people, from different backgrounds, all ages. You just can't help but be filled with a deep-seated joy. A kind of joy that sort of looks over top of all the minor issues that are always going to be there on this side of heaven and sees God's detailed handiwork in forming these people into one unified body of Christ purchased by His blood in which you have been included. Paul says, I am praying for the church with joy. The third heartfelt sentiment that we notice here is confidence. Verse 6 is maybe one of the most precious promises in the Bible. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. But don't miss how the verse starts. Paul, again, very personally says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul, when he's remembering these Christians in prayer, is 100% confident that God is working in them to finish what he started in them. When they read this part of the letter, this, this would have had to encourage them. Paul was convinced that God would never let them go. God began the work of salvation when they first believed. Of Lydia, the first believer in Philippi, in Acts 16, said, God opened her heart 
to listen to Paul explain the gospel. Salvation was a work of God right from the beginning. And so it is with each of us. God causes our hearts to open so that we see our sins, so that we understand the gospel, so that we see our need for Christ. And then behold Him as our Savior. But God keeps working in us. That's what He began. He began that work. God keeps working in us. It's not like God starts the work and and we sort of finish it off for Him. God doesn't just go part way with you. He is working to get you to the end. And so whether you're going through a time of suffering, whether you're in a season of blessing, whether you get bad news, whether you get good news, whether our church is in a good season or it's in a trying season, God has His purpose and His design for all those things. And finally, God is going to complete His work in us. John Newton ascribed this work of God from beginning to end, and he described it as grace when he wrote the first two verses of his famous hymn. In the first verse, he said he was saved by amazing grace, that God had begun that work in him. Remember, God saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. He began the good work. But then in the second verse, he talks about the present and the future. He says, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far. And then grace shall lead me home. It's God's grace that saves us from beginning to end. Friends, this is such a precious promise individually, but also a precious promise for our church. This is a sure and confident hope. We can encourage each other with this truth. Just think about, if, if you are struggling, would it not be encouraging if one of your believing friends would, would, would come along beside you, they maybe put their hand on your shoulder, and they'd say, listen, brother, listen, sister, I, I know you're going through a tough time. I know you're going through a tough time. But I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, at the day of Jesus Christ. That would not just be an empty platitude. That would not just be a feeble attempt to encourage someone where it depends on something that we have to do. No, this is a confident assurance that's grounded in the character of God It's grounded in the character of God and His being faithful to His promises all the time. One commentator named Marcus Bachmuel writes that Paul's confidence is not in the Christianity of Christians, but in the Godness of God. Paul's confidence is not in the Christianity of Christians, but in the Godness of God who is supremely trustworthy, able, and committed to finish the work that he has begun, end quote. God preserves us all right to the end. Encourage one another with that truth. We should remember each other with thanksgiving, with joy, and with confidence. And fourthly, Paul yearns for them. Verse 8, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all. 
Do you feel the intensity of Paul's emotions toward them? He yearns for them all. For Paul, his yearning is heightened by the fact that he's not with them at the moment. He's heard about them and he's heard about their progress in the gospel. He's been keeping track of how they've been growing in their faith, but he hasn't seen them. And so he's yearning. Because we can see each other every week, because we uh, live in close proximity to each other, we might not have that same intense yearning for each other. But I fear that we've almost gone the other direction, where we take one another for granted. It's a bonus when we see each other. Hey, we say, good to see you. But I know, speaking for myself, when I say that, it's not with the meaning of, great to see you. I am so encouraged by your faith. Or, great to see you. It, you know, it's, it, it's tough out there. It's, it's been a terrible week. I just needed to be here at church today just so I could sing with my people. Just so I could hear from the Word. Just so I could think of Christ's sacrifice as we participate in the Lord's Supper. And to have someone lead me in prayer. I just needed that so much. Do yearn for your fellow believers in Jesus such that it's hard to do without them. So are all heartfelt sentiments. And there's one more. It's tagged on to that same sentence there at the end of verse 8. I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, here you can really see how Paul got his enlarged heart. If Paul would have gone through all the tests, if he would have gone through the blood tests, if he would have gone through the chest x-rays, if he would have gone through the electrocardiograms or the echocardiograms, they would discover that his enlarged heart was caused by the love of Christ. Paul yearned for them all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That word affection is actually also taken from anatomy. It literally means the bowels, the innermost organs. And so the affection of Christ Jesus stresses the intensity and the depth of the love of Christ, first of all, and then of Paul's love for the Christians at Philippi. He loved them as Christ loved the church. Brothers and sisters, that models the kind of affection that we should have for the people sitting around us. It comes from deep inside. This changes how we view each other, doesn't it? It's a depth of affection that almost defies explanation. It sounds kind of strange to people looking in from the outside. But Jesus said, after he washed his disciples' feet, by this shall all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Maybe 75 years after this was written, uh, the Roman Empire emperor at the time, Hadrian, sent a man named Aristides to check, to check out this, what he called this sect called Christians and to send back a report. And I read that whole report just the other day here. But a good chunk of that report has to do with the extraordinary kindnesses that Christians showed each other. And he just summarized his report by saying, they love one another. Such is their manner of life. 
Well, this is how Paul felt about them. He had an enlarged heart for the church of Philippi. Do you have room in your heart for the Christians in your church? And the second related question is why can you be thankful for the Christians in your church? What is it about believers, about the church, that should make us have that kind of depth of heartfelt emotion? Why give them such a priority? Well, Paul gives two very compelling reasons. And both are connected to this concept of fellowship, which we're going to hear a lot about in this letter. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you may have come across the Greek word for fellowship. It's koinonia. That's that's the word here. You see it twice, once in verse 5 and then in verse 7 with a little um, prefix added to it. It's translated partnership in verse 5, and a related word is translated as partakers there in verse 7. And both those verses answer the why question for us. Look at verse 5. He's thankful for them all. He's always praying for them with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now there's some thought here that when Paul is talking about how uh, Paul, the, the Philippians supported him, he's talking financially, that they were his financial partners in that way, that they helped fund his ministry. And if you put this together with the end of the letter where he does talk about sending help, that, that could definitely be part of what he's referring to. But that's just one part of it. Christians love one another. If they want to have fellowship with another, they'll, they'll help each other with financial endeavors where, or where finances are needed in order to, to, to pursue the advance of the gospel. But that's just one part of it. The point is that their connection stemmed from the gospel. From the first day when God opened the hearts of Lydia and her household, way back then, and then the jailer and his household, right to the time that Paul is writing from prison, they have been partners in the gospel. They have the kind of fellowship that is tied to a common faith. And that's a strong and unbreakable tie. An unbreakable bond, an unbreakable knot. They're, they're knotted together and knitted together in the gospel. They share the same experience of having been saved. And that is a common experience that is no small thing. It's a huge transformation, a redirection, a conversion that we all have in common if we are in Christ. We have all been saved from the wrath of God. We have all had the blinders at some point in our lives taken off our eyes so that we see what it means for us that Jesus was born and that he lived and that he died and that he was raised and that he was exalted. We've all understood and received and had applied to us the good news of the gospel. And now, we're all in this fellowship of the gospel, where we grow together, where we support each other in, in, in the gospel enterprise, and, and, and where we share the same gospel vision, and where we share the, the same commitments to the truths of the gospel. And here's the thing, it's such a tight fellowship that it has to by definition, look different than any other kind of partnership. 
Paul writes about that in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Listen to the words he uses. He starts this by saying, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. But here's the reason. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Friends, this is why we have such heartfelt sentiments for each other. Because we have a partnership in the gospel which binds us together in a joy-filled fellowship and in a combined effort striving together to follow Christ as we encourage each other and urge each other on and pray with each other and suffer together and worship together. And that leads to a second and final compelling reason that you see there in verse 7. Paul writes, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for, that's a reason, here comes the reason, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Key words there are partakers in grace. We have fellowship in the gospel and we are recipients, we are all recipients together of God's grace. We often think of grace just being applied to us individually. No, we sing grace that saved a wretch like me. But Paul is pressing us to think of grace as a common experience here that we share with each other. It's this idea that none of us really deserve to have this kind of partnership. We are all part of this church, knitted together by grace. We're bound together by this surprising grace that God has lavished on us by which we are brought together into this amazing thing called the body of Christ. We are all partakers together of God's grace. And so, whether one of us is in prison, like Paul was, or whether one of us is suffering, or whether one of us is defending the gospel, we're all in this gospel enterprise together. We stand with each other in the grace of God, lavished on us in Christ. So, Paul wrote, It is right for me to feel this way. The way that we've just seen. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. So let me ask you, how do you feel about the other people in this church? And really, the word translated as feel here is more of a state of mind than a feeling. It's, it is right for me some other translations I think translated better, it is right for me to think this way about you. How do you regard the people that are part of your family in Christ? Your brothers and sisters, would you be able to look at the entire congregation as a whole and say, I have you in my heart? I know many of you have experienced that kind of loving care from this church from time to time. But I think this challenges all of us. It challenges me to have more of this kind of mindset all the time. When I look over you all, I have to see that these are my brothers and sisters 
in Christ. This is my forever family. Listen, we live and we breathe the air of an individualistic culture, one that prizes uh, self-sufficiency, one that prizes self-expression and a whole lot of other words that begin with self. But Christianity stands right against that premise. Christianity prizes a one-another kind of life where we, based on the life and death of our Savior, serve one another, where we pray for one another, where we encourage one another, where we even bear with one another, and where we love one another. And so I encourage you to open your heart. Enlarge your heart toward your fellow Christians in the church. And then go from heart to action. Maybe open your home. Write notes of encouragement. Call people during the week. Take someone for a coffee. Join a Bible study. Get involved in a ministry. There are lots of ways to get to the point where you can say with Paul, it is right for me to feel, to think this way about you because I hold you in my heart. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. And oh, how we thank you for your church. We pray, our Father, that these words would serve to change us, that they would serve to transform our thinking. Thank you that we all have this one thing in common. If, if we're Christians, even though you have made us all so, so wonderfully different, and that one thing in common is that we share a common salvation. We have been truly saved. We have been brought from darkness to light. We have been brought from death to life. We've all been saved by Jesus Christ through the cross and the resurrection. We've all experienced the gracious love of Christ. And so help us now to open our hearts to those who have also experienced that same thing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.